you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. I know I'm preaching to youth, but I don't really try to just zone in on one people. I just try to preach or teach. Is that okay? So tonight I'm going to do something. I think I've talked about it before, but we're going to try it because it relates. When I say God is good, you say all the time. Are you ready? God is good. God is good. And when I say all the time, you say God is good. Are you ready? And all the time. And all the time, God is good. And all the time, amen. Why don't you give yourselves a hand for that? The Lord is good. We used to have a guy in church from Zimbabwe, if I remember right, that would get up and talk like that. And he had such a deep accent. His name was Dennis. Love that guy. That's all I could understand. And he'd preach and teach and exhort or whatever the case might be. But all I could get was a beginning because I knew my part. But God is good. Amen. Amen. That's good. Look at you. We've all been on Christmas break and some of you are still trying so hard. (laughs) But it is great. Tonight, I want you to know that what I feel to preach and what I feel to bring to you tonight has been weighing on me so very heavy. It's not a topic that I can't preach in my sleep or talk about or whatever the case might be, but it matters how we go about some of the most basic things of God. And so tonight I want to preach with a simple title, and I'll mention it again, but the first step, the very first step to being saved. I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It's at the beginning. Thank you for that. And it reads, I know, sorry to be an idiot. By the way, before I get started, next week, we are so excited to have our children's ministry featured. I hope that you'll all show up. There are so many big things planned. We had a meeting with our our Sunday school or our kids' uh, ministries teachers upstairs this morning. Uh, After church, it took a a little bit to kind of just get ready. We are, and I'm sure we're all big and bug-eyed thinking, oh my Lord, how are we going to do it all? But I'm excited about next week. There's so much fun, excitement, and surprises coming. Please come and be a kid with us. It'll be an awesome time. Amen? Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 or 2, and it says, in the New King James is what I'll read out of tonight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
If you'll drop down to verse number 26 through 28, it continues on. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let us have dominion, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over every, uh, over all the earth, and over everything that creeps on the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The very first step to being saved. I want to say before we pray tonight, because I don't know that I'll touch it again, but God has given us dominion. We don't pray to take dominion or to be granted it. It's given. Chapter 1. It's given. There's so many things we go through in life where we don't realize the power God has placed in us. We have dominion. And I'm thankful for that tonight, aren't you? Amen. I want to pray over this tonight. I want to pray that God would maybe just take us back to some basics so we might have a deeper understanding of him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. God, truly thank you for every opportunity. Lord, I, I'm humble before you, God. I pray you'd have your way in my mind, Lord, in my heart. Lord, in everything you've given me to say, God, I also pray for this church. Lord, that you would be, uh, begin and continue revival in it, Lord. I thank you for the souls and the lives that are being changed. Lord, help us to know what you would have us to be. Lord, have your way in us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. I'm going to ask you a ton of questions tonight. You okay with that? Number one, does God exist? It sounds like an easy question. It sounds very pointed. It sounds like you could give me an answer off the top of your head if I ask, how do you know? How can you prove it? But I don't want any answer. This is why it weighed so heavy on me this week. Thankful to have my boy up in that front row getting my attention. Our world and the people in it aren't just looking for any answer, though. They want the answer. Does God exist? In a world we're living in, whether you realize it or not, it draws us closer to God. But those that don't have an understanding of him, it makes them question his very existence. It's important that today we know, does God exist? If he exists, then how do we go about it? I want us to think on that tonight. I know even in our youth, uh, it's a very core belief, but it has been messed with this past year. The amount of, of, of classrooms and even Sunday nights we have not had, it numbers probably close to 100 or so gatherings and, and meetings and classes and services that we have missed. And for even our young people, you guys might or might not realize, but there have been certain classes and lessons you've taken that you didn't miss. And what I mean by that is there are situations you've still had to go through without the class. There's been so many times, I'll never forget in March, the first, uh, the first weekend, or maybe it was April 6th, I believe is the date I had. I looked back after, after, uh, at it briefly, and um, I remember saying, okay, school was canceled. Everybody remember that? And I, I looked at our young people, and I said, you got five months. I said, you have five months. Five months, you're not going to be around anybody in your school. 
five months, what are you going to do? How are you going to change and be something more in five months? And then we'd have another Zoom meeting. And I'd say, okay, now you got 11 weeks. Or 15 weeks or 14 or 12. Or I'd go down the list as many times as we'd get together virtually. And I hated every minute of it. Thankful for it. But I missed it because there was so much time that we could have spent praying together. We could have spent searching the word of God. And we, we did our best. I don't, I don't discredit that. But I know the enemy didn't have to quarantine the way we might have had to have. I'm not ripping on nothing other than this world has tried to shut this down while it kept all of that going. And that's not what God has planned for us. And so in the middle of that, I know that the devil meant it for evil and I know God meant it for good. But then it comes back to that question. Can you all still say with a certainty that God exists? If I hadn't heard it out of two or three of our young people, whether they know it or not, it's been speaking loudly that they're questioning the very existence of God. It makes it to where I have to go back to that root. I'm thankful, Pastor. You don't understand. I know you do, but I'm so grateful for this platform and opportunity. I know you all came for just a moment. Be childlike with me, youth-like, whatever, and you get to the root to understanding, does God exist? Does my daughter believe it? Does my son believe it? Have I even talked about it? Do we still pray about it? Do we still search God out about it? This morning I saw young people that were emotional like I have not seen maybe ever in some. God is moving in a great way, so we need to go back to those roots. Can God still move in my life? Can he still move in my home? Can we still have revival? Does God exist? Here's why the question's so important. Because if he does, why is there so much suffering in the world? This is what you're asked. As a youth pastor, I, I, I love this. <laughs> Can I talk about the mic for a second? Bless God, if you don't know how that's happening up back in the back and you don't see nothing, it's because I got this wonderful flesh-colored mic. But I remember <laughs> 18, 20 years ago seeing this mic, and I thought, man, that's a youth pastor's mic. That's a cool mic, dude. So tonight I finally get to wear a cool mic. But in 20 years, 18 years of being in youth ministry, the question has never changed. Young people are very curious, how can a God allow so much pain and suffering? Some of you might not know that answer. Does God exist? We have to question ourselves to the very root of it. Forgive me for taking my time. I promise I'll be done by seven. Is that all right? So if God exists, why does he allow evil people to do evil things? If he loves everyone, why is there a place called hell? Why are there so many rules? Does he even want us in heaven with all these rules? Why not let everyone in? Maybe the better question to start with is why am I here? Why did he make us? <laughs> y'all now y'all getting blank stares, y'all okay? I've asked about seven questions. Now, be honest. How many of you would have trouble with some of these questions if your youth or young adult or somebody else came and asked you? It's going to take you a moment. Then you're going to be like, well, just stop asking. Go pray. <laughs> just push me. Go pray. If you've got questions with God, G.A. Mangan, go pray. Just, he'd pray with people before counseling. Go pray. <laughs> but the questions still come, and we've got to have answers. 
I've got to know why he exists. How can I prove it? How does the world prove it? Do you realize this part's not in the notes, this one's free. When you look at Chinese written root words and you look at things like tempter, you look at things like devil, you look at different root words when they write them out, do you know how they write those words? They use, uh, first of all, in Chinese, like Mandarin writing, they will write a, a combination of words and actions. So in the root of everything, some of the most basic words they have is the root word of garden. And you'll see this little box that has six little lines in it, and it, it symbolizes a garden. And so when you see the word tempter, you will see garden, and then you're going to see two trees above it. Chinese words. When you see the word uh, 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 sin and you see these different things that we can relate to, you will see roots in Genesis. But we don't realize that and we typically can't ever draw on that to say, here's how I know that even the Chinese understood who Jesus was. How did they ever get that? Could you take us back to know where in the world the whole Chinese nation came from? Been a minute since I preached to you. Because <laughs> this is the words I always feel and the, the way I always go about it. Because uh, I have to go back to Noah. Can I even prove Noah and the ark? Can I prove these things to, to know which way I am to turn? There's two books I love in the Bible. Sometimes I feel like they might be rarely preached from and rightly so. One, nobody likes to touch because there's so much uh, uh, craziness that it's hard to even comprehend what's going on. And that's Revelations. The other one seems to be Genesis. We always try to preach somewhere in the middle, right? But I love to know where we came from and where we're going. That's essential in my world, and especially if I'm trying to minister to people. Where am I going? How am I going to get there? And in the meantime, what can I control and what can I control? I have to know that if I'm going to be a child of God, there are certain battles I don't need to fight. There are certain things I'm going to have to let go and things I'm going to have to face. But I have to come to some realizations on who he is. Uh, uh, and, and the reason I love these, these books and these verses is because it shows me why I am made. Uh, uh, it said in Genesis that I am made to have dominion and to rule this earth a little bit. I'm supposed to have power over the fish, over the creeping things. And I'm to, to till the world and I'm to make it. I'm to just inhabit this place. And then I'm to be fruitful and multiply. That's my goal. That's Genesis. Great. That's my beginning. You know what Revelation says? It says in 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I'm here because he wills it. For those of you that can believe that we came from a single cell organism, and somehow that little cell multiplied, and eventually it became a frog. Somehow that frog became a monkey. And somehow that monkey learned how to stand up and walk right. And now here we are. I don't believe any of that junk. I believe God made the monkey. He made the frog. And he made me. And I'm to rule and reign over them. Be fruitful and multiply. And I'm here because it's his will. It's his will that I'm here. Right in the middle of the Bible, Isaiah explains it best when he said he did this for his glory. I am here for his glory. It's that simple. When I look at the reason I was born, the reason I took my first steps, 
the reason I went to school and, and, and failed and passed and tried my best and got to where I was and went to college and finally got a job and got married and had family and, and now I'm training up the next generation to do the same thing I did. Why? For his glory and because he wills it. Without that, there's no reason for it. In fact, in our world, when they take God out, they take out the very essence of morals. That's why they don't want a God. Because they don't have to answer for sin. That's the way the world looks at it. Because when they remove morals, anything goes. Now we're okay with abortion. We're okay with things that the Bible has clearly said, we can't do this. We can't live this way. It's for his glory. It's for uh, his will. We, he made humanity for purely his glory. I love the fact when I began to read, did God really make the world? 4.1 billion people in our world, over half, are either Muslim, Christian, or Jewish. I know they're not all child of God, I get all that, but they all believe a God made this world. It's amazing, 4.1 out of almost 8 billion people, and yet in our world, with our kids next, you know, next door and sitting in the seat next to you, your co-workers, and some of them will say, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, I just don't believe. It's amazing to me that, you know, this world is full of consensus. Y'all know what consensus is? That's when a group of people that are highly minded get together and agree on something. There's no facts. There's no real science half the time. It's an agreeance. I don't like consensus, but this is one consensual fact or whatever, a consensus that I can get behind. I agree with four billion people that God made us. I agree that it started in a garden. I agree that something had to transpire. We get to a flood. I love it. I did some research on, on how did the flood happen, and there was a man that went around the world, kind of a, a missionary of sorts, an evangelist, and he began to ask people in other cultures and said, I want to know what you guys believe to be the beginning is. And he, he documented over 200 reports of what people knew about the beginning of even their cultures. You know what most of them went back to and said there was a flood. So one thing they all agree on. There was a flood. Here's a wild part. So I documented, he had percentages. I'm not going to get into all percentages, but if it was over 70%, I put yes. They agreed on that. Here's what they agreed on. That there was a favored family. They were forewarned. They said that the flood was due to the wickedness of man. They said that the catastrophe is only a flood. They said it was global. They said that to survive only happened from a boat. They said animals were saved. They said that there were survivors and they landed on a mountain. All religions, all cultures. <laughs> Does God exist? You know what the very first, because again, there's times where I get lost in my own sermon. You know what the very first step of being saved is? Believing. I can't take you to repentance if you don't believe. I plan on trying my best to explain why God allows evil and why he allows all these things to happen. But truly, we've got to get to a point where we do understand that the, he does exist. And the only reason we're here is for his will. It's because it's, it's a glory to him. And if, if I'm going to be saved, I've got to believe it. Otherwise, there's no salvation for me. There's no salvation for me otherwise. 
That was a multiple people experience all over the world. They say the only way this can happen is either there's multiple people that have experienced the same event like an earthquake, or that one family experienced it and they kept telling generation after generation after generation after generation. It's amazing how what we have written down, which came from Moses, if I remember right, because Moses wasn't even there. God showed him the hinder parts. You realize how we got the story of Noah, right? Noah didn't write it down. That blows my mind. Not only did it come from one family, but we only have it because one guy was in the cleft of the rock and the Lord showed him his hinder parts. He showed him the beginning. Yes, God exists. That's how I know. In our world, and if you don't know what apologetics is, it's a way to prove that God is true. It's been nine months since I've had the opportunity to do this with our young people. It's overdue because you've had a semester of school. I haven't been there to get all the bad stuff out of your brains from all that they're plugging into you in science and STEM and everything else. <laughs> I, I won't be crude tonight. I rip on these scientists because what they tell our children. They'll believe in Neanderthals and ignoramuses and, and all these different steps of, of, of leading up to where we started walking upright. But the thought of a God that does it all is absolutely absent from them. They say in our universe that it's about four to five billion light years old. At least that's the speed at which it's expanding. So when they go in reverse motion, they say that we're about four to five billion years old. Do you realize they also say that we can see 14 to 15 light years, billion light years away? This is problematic because if one thing is saying we're about five billion years old, and yet we can see the equivalent of 15 billion years old, we have problems. They also say scientifically carbon dating, we're about 4.5 billion years old. Air. <laughs> and in that 4.5 billion years that we are old, they say that the ocean itself gets saltier every single year. You realize if that was true, that our oceans would be so full of salt that nothing would live in them? There's only one thing I've ever seen scientists come back to and validate, and that has always been the word of God. It's always been true. I don't question this. So if I can understand that this right here is valid, true, infallible, it's been matched up against some of the greatest minds, and it has never been destroyed. They use simple arguments. That's right. They use simple arguments that don't ever make sense for it. They try to justify it. I heard a man online, because whether you realize it or not, your kids probably like those little Facebook videos and Instagram and everything else. They'll watch little videos and clip it. You don't think that there's evil on that as well. There's one guy that is a, a, an out-and-out -out atheist, has no problem talking about it, loves making fun of Christians. And he said, I remember being a child in church. And when I was a child, we'd go to church, and there was a lady that had cancer, and the pastor kept getting up and saying that God's going to heal her. We know God's going to heal her. God's going to heal her. God's going to heal her. And the woman died. And then it's like the whole church got amnesia and didn't talk about it no more. This man now has followers in the millions. Because that sounds good, right? He found a platform and found ways to shave his eyebrows and look goofy and all sorts of stuff. I hope and pray that we know why we, we serve what we serve and why we're here. It's for a much greater purpose. I, and how do you explain that? There's some, here's the funny part. A lot of you are cool with me tonight. 
there ain't no problems, but I can look around this room and I see some that are still wondering, how are you going to prove he's true? Right? Here's how I'm going to do it. The Bible says in James chapter 219, does he really exist? It says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So why didn't he kill the devil at the beginning? What's he expect from me? Why am I only allowed to live 70-ish years? Why does he let people die? Why do some people die young? Why do babies die? All these questions can come, but the truth is we serve a God that is a God of free will. To understand free will and who God is, it means that he will allow things that even he doesn't like. You can go and slap your spouse. God does not like that. Because that would be an equivalent of him smacking the church or the church smacking him. He's not about that because he said marriage is a reflection of him and the body of Christ. Doesn't like it, but you have free will to do that. Doesn't make it right, but you have free will. People have free will to do the most horrendous and horrible things, and yet, for some reason, God allows it to happen. He's allowed these things. And, I, I, you know, again, uh, the question might come down to why. It's because he is a good God. Here's how we know that. God is inherently good. He wiped out the entire earth and saved eight people, and none of us questioned if he was good. Yet at the whole thought of a miscarriage, at the whole thought of a child with cancer, at the whole thought of that, we all of a sudden want to put judgment on who God is and is he good? God is good. And all the time, we cannot judge him. If my child was to make a painting, and that painting sat there and it was a mess, and maybe it was one of my younger boys who didn't understand the concept of lines, <laughs> and that painting is just a mess and there's nothing that makes sense, it would be up to me to tell him it's a mess because I am a human like him. But for the canvas to begin to speak and say, you made me a mess, it can't do that. Creation doesn't have the privilege to correct creator. So when you look at the Bible and it says things like homosexuality is wrong, I don't get to say, God, how dare you? I don't get to go to his word and say, okay, then that, I don't, I'm not following that. I'm not behind that. I have to say, okay, that's right because he's good. Well, what happens when somebody dies and they don't get saved the way that the Bible says it? Thank the Lord that's between him and God. But for me, I better do what it says because I've read it and he's good. He's so good that he can send me straight to hell. He's a good God. I'm his creation and he's the creator. He can do whatever he wants with my life. We've seen him take some of the best and biggest names of our church that we don't need to be sick and take them through absolute struggle for months on end. But he's a good God. Why? I don't know. His will, his glory. He's a good God. So in my life when I see pain 
and I see people that are abused and even worse, when I see things that have, you know, uh, different things, I've even heard of some of the stories of even some of you young people growing up, you've had uh, some very intense lives. God's still good. I don't know why you went through what you went through. But he still has a will. And he still made you for his glory. That's all that God is concerned about. There's one thing I've learned about people that want to know the biggest questions in the universe is when you're given the answer, you reject it. The first step to salvation is believing. God allows things because of free will. And all I have to worry about is being saved. There's nothing else in my life that will ever stop me from worrying about my salvation. It's not that it's not settled with me and with God, but I'm going to work at it day by day by day. I don't believe once saved, always saved. I believe I need to work at this thing. I believe that if I've been baptized, that's great. The Bible says it. It says to go down in his name. I know there were some baptized in another name. We'll cover that in a few weeks. But whether he was baptized in another name, ultimately, even John's disciples were rebaptized in Jesus' name. John's the one that baptized Jesus. It had its purpose. It was for his will and it was for his glory. But then he changed the formula and gave it to us. When we see Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, and they said that the, the Bible says the men were pricked in their hearts. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Hearts were pricked of believers. Might not have had the newest revelation. Might not have had what the apostles have been working on for years. Might not have had what Jesus has set up since the beginning of time. The Bible says that he became the land slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, when I look at Genesis 1 and I see where he made us and I see that he, we're made in his image and we're to be given dominion. Before that, he had already accounted for a way out of salvation. And so my first step comes down to I've got to believe. If I don't believe, I'm in trouble. If I don't believe that God's real, I'm in trouble. If I don't know that this is the infallible word of God, I'm in trouble. I've read it a million times in Bible studies. Search for truth is one of the biggest ones I always used to kind of read and had it taught to me. And it tells you some things. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. Our very first president was killed, kind of. They bloodlet him. They take this multiple hook thing and they throw it right in the jugular and, and just cut across. And they were letting the bad blood out. But the Bible says that the blood is the life of man. When I look in the, in the world and I see dead scrolls that were uncovered from years and years of being put up in bottles, and I see that the word hasn't changed, not even a, a, a cent, I have to consider why was this written so many years ago, and why is it the one book everybody seems to want to burn, yet the only thing that's so precious people will die for? Does God exist? This is the one thing that you're going to see the world fight over. This is, man, it's, I'm telling you, this is the one thing that you're going to see the world fight over. You know what Revelation says? This is the part where, again, nobody wants to believe it because it sounds like God's a bad God. He's good. It says that a third of the world's going to die at some point. Y'all kids okay? Plug your ears. Talks about different things, apocalypses, and it talks about, you know, uh, having different marks, and I'll, I'll be more neutral. It talks about some of these things where we have to know that if that's going to come to pass, then I have to be ready for it. 
I don't run from God because I want to do things that aren't right. It's not that bad things don't happen to good people, but God, everything that's intended for evil, God will turn it around and it will be for good. God has every intentions of making it good. Here's the first rule of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and 16, the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day if you eat it you shall surely die. Everything was allowed, but don't eat one fruit. Think about that. Death wasn't even present yet. The Bible says the wages of sin is death doesn't happen until sin happens. So knowing that, they had one rule to avoid death. So when you get mad about the way God is or allowing things or whatever your case might be, you need to go back not to God, but to man. Understand who's holding the paintbrush. They held the paintbrush on sin. Adam and Eve were the ones that were in the garden and everything was perfect. 75 degree days. They didn't, doesn't matter what they wore, obviously. <laughs> and they messed it up with sin. Sin is something we need to question, is it worth it? Not does God exist. Is it worth it? I better move along hastily. Can God do anything evil? No. Can creator be bad? No. Creation is absolutely at no point okay to correct creator. There was a couple times in the Bible where the Bible says that God repented himself. He did that because of what creation said and did. But it was up to him to make the change. God has no problem maybe changing his will or his way based upon how we petition and go about him and be a fervent prayer. And the Bible talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It availeth much. There's, there's something that I've got to do is get to him with prayer. But in all of, all of that that I deal with, I, I have to know that he's still God and he is good. He's still God and he is good. 2 Samuel Verse 12, 22, and 23 says it like this. And this was when David had lost a child because I wanted my best. I know I'm behind, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just push along as best I can. Uh, David had lost a child. We don't understand sometimes how God can allow this stuff to happen, right? We get beside ourselves and we think that God is cruel and we'll begin to question him. But even David dealt with a child being lost. And he says that while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. Because they asked him, why do you not weep anymore? Your child's gone. And he said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. When we get to an understanding that life is not eternal but finite, it's not infinite, it has a time limit. It's in this time limit where bad and good might seem to happen. Life and death, unfortunately, might happen. So it's in those times where I have to understand, okay, it's not that God bring the baby back to me. It's that I'm going to stop fasting, that part's over, but now I'm going to wait until I can go to be with them. Bad things might happen that doesn't change where God's trying to take us. Bad things might go on, but that doesn't change where God might try to uh, let us be. And it's with that that God will deal with us. I want to call our music. If they would come and get ready to play, I promise I won't be too much longer.
Some of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves is, what happens if I live this life for God and I'm wrong? What happens if you die and you're wrong and you live for God? Typically, you've lived a moral life. You've probably lived a holy life, maybe a good marriage, because you've tried to honor the things you know to be of God. You've lived righteous, not by our standards, but hopefully by His, and we know our righteousness is like filthy rags to Him. So we try to live the best we can. But what if I'm right? What if the atheist is wrong? Imagine the life that people live that don't believe a God is going to come and pass judgment. We do live in a period of grace. But truly, God is coming back and eventually he will judge us for who we were here regarding his will and his glory. So who am I? If I'm wrong and I'm atheist, the penalty is hell. So it might be best, while I question and search the scriptures, that I try to live for him and risk being wrong, then not live for him and risk being right. It's too big of a thing for us to not try to live for God. There's a pastor, not in our movement, but a pastor that decided he was going to go and try to live an atheist life. He said, I'm going to shut everything off of God. I'm going to try to tune him out completely, get to a place where I can't hear him, and try to live their life and understand where they came from. That's been several years ago, and to this day, the pastor is a full-blown atheist. For some of you where your life might be hanging in the balance, it's not a time to just run from God and say, well, I'll try the other thing and see what happens. Brandon, I'm just in my rum springer, man. This is just a period. I'll get better. Don't worry about me. I'll come back. You might not have a chance. I want to show you something. When I think of life, now I get to a point where I get to see my children. And it's with my kids that I begin to see how big and long life really is. And I see, and, and if you would with me for just a moment, just experience this little bit of life with me. Life, even though it goes fast, it's got a lot to it. It's got birth. It's got training, it's got souls, it's got uh, family, it's got relatives. Maybe you were born with a brother and a sister and you begin to live life together. Maybe you live at homeless, maybe you live at adopted. Maybe you live your life not sure what's going to happen next and you begin to wonder and, and, and think about what is my life, is it worth it? In this period of, of uncertainty or whatever you want to call it they say that in young people the rate of suicide attempts talked and uh, whatever where they've gotten through with it has increased four or five times much worse than any flu or virus and yet it has taught our children and our world to be afraid of viruses and life will continue on, we'll get past this because the Lord is good. And when we get past this, 
then more life will happen. You know, you, you, maybe you graduate. Maybe you get to a point to where you uh, get a job and see that special someone and you go get married. Glory. You get to a point where you want to have children of your own. Maybe by chance you have stayed in the truth, but now you have to worry about what's my kids going to believe. How far have I ran to where I can't raise them in God? Life goes on further. Maybe you get to the point where you're about to be a grandparent. Life just continues to happen and it continues to flow and I'm sorry. That's life. That right there is the 70 years we're promised. That's eternity. That's life. I have this little bit of time. This is all I've got to make a decision for eternity. It's not about, is God good? He's good all the time. It's not about why am I here, it's for his will, it's for his glory. I've got to believe on him because if I can get saved, salvation lasts for eternity. I've never once read in my Bible where salvation and eternity have an end. I've never once read where when he comes back for me, if I've done what he said, that I'll ever have to depart from him again. Never says I have to go through another test. It says I get to ride on a horse with him, come and slay everybody that's against his people, and that I get to set up and rule and reign as kings and priests for a thousand years. And we worry about our earth warming up in temperature. Life is so small and finite. It's a mere blip on the radar. It's a mere small portion to a long cable a long time church and young people to make the wrong choice it's a long time to doubt who God is or is he real I've heard it said that if you could ever imagine eternity that you could picture a little sparrow flying from Europe all the way over to America just to pick up one grain of sand and to take it back to Europe and if a bird did that the entirety of the eastern coast and took every last grain of sand and took it over one side to the other and set it down. That is the beginning of eternity. That's too long for me not to be serious about my life. That's too long for me not to really question, does God exist? If you would stand with me. A lot of churches stop at step one. We don't even talk about it much because when Peter preached, he preached to people that believed. But tonight I want to call us back to a moment of believing, understanding that we serve a good God. Do you realize we're Gentiles with a small window where he's allowed us to be saved, grafted into the body is what the Bible says, 
That means he takes us, which sometimes called us wretched dogs and all sorts of things, and he throws us on the tree of salvation, which he's had his people, the Jewish people, forever. He said, all right, now's our time. Let's get on the tree. Now's your chance. You can be saved. And we get to be a part of the best part. They don't even know what the Holy Ghost is. They don't even understand how freeing his free will is. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Tonight we have focused on youth and I will focus on youth in my altar call. But if it tugs at your heart, so be it. I pray that you'll respond. But I, I question us sometime. Where are you in your belief of who God is? Are you so consumed in thinking that he's a God that is bad or he's one that likes evil or he he's okay with people dying and people being hungry or is he a God that understands it's free will and he set up his way sins the reason that we have our issues sins the thing that brought thorns on the trees and made it to where we have to till the ground and to where birth now is extraordinarily painful it's sin that brought us that not God I wonder if you would find a place where maybe you can get alone with him and recommit yourself to say, God, tonight I just, I want to just deepen my roots in you. I want to deepen my belief in you, God. Reveal yourself. Show yourself to me. As they begin to sing, I'm, I'm opening this altar and asking if you feel a tug on your heart, won't you find a place to pray? Maybe you've got a son or a daughter here and you need to go and lay a hand on them and, and pray with them that God would be who he is to them. In Jesus' name, why don't we just serve him for a moment? Why don't we just worship him for a moment? Thank you, Jesus.